When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Uh, welcome back to Heard Tell. Okay, how many of you have to take decongestants, over-the-counter stuff for the drips and drabs and nasal drainage and all that fun stuff? I do. I got to take lots of that stuff. I always have allergies or a head cold. I'm always fighting this stuff. Anyway, people have been complaining for years that the cold and flu and drainage and decongestants don't work. Turns out, cuz, they don't. Our friend um, Michael Siegel, that's Dr. Michael Siegel to use, writing in Ordinary Times. He's taking a piece from the New York Times to jump off here. We'll link to it in the Substack notes. But from the New York Times, quote, an advisory panel to the Food and Drug Administration agreed unanimously on Tuesday that a common decongestant ingredient used in many over-the-counter cold medicines is ineffective. Ineffective, that's a big fancy word for it. Don't work for those of you from Logan. Back to the New York Times. The panel vote tees up a likely decision by the agency on whether to essentially ban the ingredient, philanophrine, which I'm probably saying wrong, but it doesn't work. So we're not going to worry about pronouncing it correctly, which would result in pulling hundreds of products containing it from the store shelves. If the FDA ordered the removal, a trade group warned that numerous popular products, including Tylenol, Mucinex, and Benadryl, cold and flu remedies, might become unavailable as companies race to reformulate them. Agency officials generally follow the recommendation of the advisory panels, though not always, and it could take some months before a final decision is made. And findings could be contested, prolonging any move towards product substitutions or removing certain stocks at stores. In the meantime, experts advise consumers not to panic or toss out all the drugs in their medicine cabinets, even though the agency advisors have decided the ingredient, phenylephrine, doesn't work to relieve nasal, nasal, not navel. If you got navel congestion, you just need a washcloth. We're talking nasal congestion here, folks. Nasal congestion, when taken orally, that's by mouth for those of you from Addison. It is not dangerous, and the products do contain other ingredients that will work to ease cold symptoms. That's the end of the New York Times quote. Let's see what Dr. Michael Siegel, our good friend, we're going to get him on and talk about this soon. Uh, Michael Siegel says, my response to this cannot be printed in these family-friendly pages of Ordinary Times. Studies have shown that felifrin, or however we're saying it, while having other medical uses, is completely useless as a decongestion since at least 2007. 
Consumers have been complaining for 16 years this stuff doesn't work. The only reason it was fostered upon us in the first place was because of restrictions on pseudofedrin. Pseudofedrin is effective as a decongestant, but also because it's a precursor to the manufacturing of methamphetamine. Therefore, state and federal governments in their longstanding practice of responding to criminal activity by punishing innocent people responded in the early 2000s meth epidemic by imposing various restrictions on pseudofedrin sales. Okay, pause. You know when you go to the counter now, you can't just get the real good Mucinex D and that sort of stuff and the Benadryl. You got to go ask the pharmacist for it. That's what we're talking about here. By the way, it also jumped the price way up. Back to uh, Michael Siegel here. While they were immediately drop in meth use immediately after the passage of the CMEA in 2005, that's the legislation, it has since rebounded because drug addicts are smart. They can adjust a lot faster than the government can. That's me saying that, not Michael. Michael says this. There is little evidence that restricting pseudofedrin availability cut meth use at all. At most, it moved the manufacturer to Mexico. In the meantime, 16 years later, here we are, a nation of 330 million people sniffling, snarking, and snorting snot because a drug that has never demonstrated efficiency beyond placebo was fostered upon us as a replacement for a drug that actually, you know, worked. Panel's advice is, as the name on the label suggests, advisory. The FDA is free to ignore it and will no doubt be under pressure from drug manufacturers desperate to have something, anything in the medicine they can remotely call a decongestant even as its decongesting powers are so slight, greatly than inhaling mouse farts. Michael Siegel bringing the heat on pseudofedrin, phalofedrin, or whatever it is that doesn't work. Folks, those of us that have to snot and snort our way through life because we have allergies, hay fevers, and other things, just give us some drugs that work at a decent price. Is that too much to ask? When it comes to our current itineration of the FDA and state and local governments, apparently it is. We'll link to this piece in Ordinary Times. It'll be on the Substack notes, hertel.substack.com. We'll get Michael Siegel on to talk about it soon. More Hertel right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Mitt Romney has announced he's not going to seek another term in the United States Senate. This, of course, got a lot of reaction online because online isn't reality. Listen, don't kid yourself. If Mitt Romney ran in Utah again, despite what you've been told, he would win. That's not why he's doing this. In his speech, he said, I'd be in my mid-80s, I'm paraphrasing here, by the time of my next term. And that's too old and it's time for a new generation. This is also somebody who's been doing politics and public service for over 25 years, as he's referenced. He's got an enormous wealth, a huge family. He's got plenty of other things he could be doing. And he stepped aside. This needs to be praised. Although 
the rate the United States government is going, having good, decent men like Mitt Romney, who I don't agree with on everything, but I've never once doubted that he isn't a decent human being in the government, knowing that he's competent and knows what he's doing for the most part, it's still a loss. We've got to be consistent here. We complain about the geriocracy and the octogenarians that run Congress. Here's Mitt Romney saying, I'm not going to be one. He's going to pack it up, take it to the House. That's something worth praising. It's also something remembering that people like Mitt Romney, who know what they're doing, who's just decent people who you may disagree with, but are who are very, very competent. Remember, he's been very successful in business. He saved the Olympics out in Utah years ago. People forget about that a little bit. So the real hardcore folks on the right have never fully embraced him. We know about the missing voters that voted for Bush but would not come out for Romney against uh, President Obama when he ran for president. Look, nobody on planet Earth was going to beat Barack Obama in that election. But we could have done a whole lot worse as leaders go than what we got out of Mitt Romney. I didn't agree with all his policies. I didn't agree with all his politics. I don't agree with all his beliefs. But I'm glad he ran. And I think we should praise him. The fact that he's not going too further, even though he could, and has decided to step aside. More of that. And thank you for your service, Senator Mitt Romney. We'll see you soon. More Hertel after this. Ah, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, big old mess in Congress. He's our man on the spot on Capitol Hill. He knows what's going on. He is the senior DC guy that handles such things for the independent. He's also an aspiring musician, but we'll talk about that some other time. Eric Garcia, how are you, my friend? What's going on? Hey, brother. Appreciate your time. All right, Congress is going to be all over the news for the next couple of weeks, especially. Mm-hmm. They're back in session. The ha- the Senate came back Monday. The House came back Tuesday, and it went poorly right off the jump. Where do we even start with this? Because we're gonna they've done some preliminary things. There's gonna be a lot of caucus meetings today and tomorrow and some yes. procedural things. Before we jump into headlines, McCarthy, impeachment, the budget battle, the Senate, Mitt Romney stepping down. Give me an overall lay of the land as people came back. Was there a sense that this is going to be a real slog and a real bad time as they came back? You're standing in the hallways. What was the demeanor? Do they know that this is going to be a rough couple of weeks? So I think the thing that I think it's important to just always differentiate between the House and the Senate. Um, the Senate is, <clears throat> for better or for worse, they almost are acting like this doesn't even happen. They're just, you know, including Senate Republicans. They're just they're just like we're working together on appropriations. They had this whole meeting on AI yesterday, they, uh, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, th- there's been this, uh, th- there's really just this feeling of we need to keep the government open and we're doing our job. And there's almost kind of a sense of annoyance. Meanwhile, the house, you know, by nature, the house is a little squirrelier, as you know, but there was always, I think there was this expectation that was ultimately founded that um, McCarthy was going to need to, that Speaker McCarthy was going to be in a bind because he promised last year, even before he became speaker, that there would not be an omnibus spending bill. There would be 12 individual spending bills. And 
Then on top of that, there was talk that he was gonna they were gonna have to do a CR, a continuing resolution, to keep the government open so they could continue negotiations. So there was always this feeling that, like McCarthy was always gonna be in a tough spot. Now there is also this feeling that he was gonna that in order to I guess you could say pacify what you and I call the raucous caucus, he was gonna need to do impeachment. Now, uh, it, but as as, as, we, as many people know, and as many people said, is that he couldn't subject his most vulnerable members to the to the impeachment inquiry. So basically, he started the the inquiry without even a vote. So basically, from the get go, there was this feeling that this was going to be um, a, basically what my dad likes to call a dog breakfast. Sounds like it. You you mentioned McCarthy. We're going to get into him in a minute because he's going to get a lot of the headlines. Mitch McConnell's been in the headlines for a lot of, frankly, scary reasons with yes. the health stuff. Um, Schumer's going to get some pop today because he's meeting with Elon Musk. That's a side show to itself. The leader on Capitol Hill that's not getting discussed is Hakeem Jeffries. Yes. He's doing record-setting fund rate. Is that, I don't think that's by accident. I think he knows, look, i got to hold my caucus together. They've got a slim majority. Let's just not put out the burning man as he runs by and just keep kind of a low profile. Play. Is that the plan? Because if it is, it's kind of working. Him and McCarthy actually kind of get along. That's probably going to come to a screeching halt somewhere right around Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Is that an accurate read on what Jeffries is doing? He's just kind of biding his time and waiting here? He had a small briefing, you know, in, in a few hours, he's going to have his main briefing. But after McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry, um, <clears throat> he did, you, you know, him, uh, Catherine Clark and Pete Aguilar, the three of them basically get along. It's very different from Pelosi and Hoyer. Uh, they, they, they basically had this trifecta press conference, sparsely attended. He did, he did his normal, you know, song and dance, but you know, I think that he very much is biding his time. He's trying to he's trying to hold it together. <clears throat> I think the other thing that you need to take into account is that essentially he and a lot of other, you know, he he basically brushed off a question about a hypothetical about a motion to vacate the chair. Essentially, what he would need to do if Matt Gates, because Matt Gates gave a speech on Tuesday saying that he wants to have daily motions to vacate the chair, essentially at this point. Jeffries needs to keep the caucus together to prevent any defections from anybody joining a motion to vacate and get them all the vote present so that McCarthy isn't deposed. But at this point, he's really still, I guess you could say, a speaker in training. It wouldn't surprise me that uh, one reason why Pelosi state decided to run for Congress again is to be almost an advisor, to be almost an informal kitchen cabinet advisor to him in the, uh, you know, in the next Congress were he to become speaker. But he very much is, you know, he very much is, I think, Lang, not lying low because he's in, he likes he likes the attention and spotlight. Not like Chuck, not like Chuck Schumer, but he is very much I think being very methodical about the words that he's choosing. Yeah, Eric Garcia joining us. Let's just get into the impeachment thing real quick because there's two things that need to be touched on here. I think yes. other than the fact that they did it, the timing of it and how they did it. Let's start with how they did it. He he threw it to the committees for an impeachment inquiry which is kind of the slow roll method of it. This is the same way Nancy Pelosi did the first one. It avoids yes. the boat. You already talked. That tells you one thing, because the one hard truth on Capitol Hill that nobody can lie their way out of is if you got the votes, you vote. If you don't, you do procedures. Yes. So they don't have the votes. That's what that tells you, yeah. number one. Plus, politically, it would be suicide. Number two is the timing of this. He came back to the recess knowing he was going to do this to launch it, 
And the same time this goes down, the defense bill gets pulled back because they don't have the votes for that. The funding stuff is going. Is there any way to read this other than because McCarthy's not dumb? He doesn't really want to do the impeachment thing. He wants to talk about it without doing it. So he gets the credit without the blame. Is there any other way to read this than he's got to placate the caucus and he's just run out of horses to trade and now he's got to give it to him? There is no other way to read it. Um, it you have to remember that it wasn't just your – I mean, one thing if, Mar- if, you, if, if you're Lauren Boberts and your Matt Gates is we're talking about it, but even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was his um, – <clears throat> who's, you know, his most trusted – right-wing deputy was even talking about it and she said look you know and, and you and i talked about this that i talked that i talked with marjorie taylor green two months ago and she said look i voted to make mccarthy speaker uh i voted for the debt limit increase this is my price he had no choice and she said during a town hall that she was not going to vote for a government spending bill unless there was a vote to impeach joe biden and unless there was a vote to defund jack smith and no funding for ukraine so as you said you know they pulled the defense bill yesterday and the reason why is because mccarthy didn't want to uh embarrass himself with the uh, and leadership didn't want to embarrass themselves with a failed defense bill it's one thing to have a failed speaker vote it's another thing to have a failed defense bill um so at this point it's basically it basically is you're right there is there are no more horses to trade and he also knows that inevitably inevitably a lot enough republicans are going more than four more than five republicans are going to vote against this the continuing resolution so he had to throw them basically a bone because he knows that voting for a continuing resolution is going to infuriate countless members of his conference conference yeah eric garcia joining us here herein lies the problem though I want to back up to something you said. Yes. You, you, you said it with a straight face and it was normal for you and you didn't even stop. Kevin McCarthy's most trusted right-wing aide, Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's 221 other people in Congress besides Marjorie Taylor Greene. This is a problem of his own making. Yes. He let her back in. He put her in charge. He not only gave her a committee assignments back, which he probably had to do to appease the cop. He's given her power. He's brought yes. her in. What, like this why would you do this is bringing the unpinned grenade into the car and driving fast with it i don't understand why he did it i know he felt like he had to placate these people but there's surely there was somebody other than her to do it because this is the snake that's going to eat you at some point here yeah no this is it's a bar from trump's favorite uh favorite song you know you knew darn well i was a snake before you took me in um you know i think mccarthy it's important to remember mccarthy was house majority whip when boehner uh, did battle with the Freedom Caucus. And, and I should also say that he's, he's also tried to placate Jim Jordan and Thomas Massey as well, who are the guys who booted, uh, who booted John Boehner and who basically chased, McCart- uh, chased Paul Ryan out of town. But he made a conscious... But I also think that this is also part of him trying to appease Donald Trump. Obviously, Marjorie Taylor Greene is very close to Donald Trump. This is his way of, uh, 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 of keeping Trump, of keeping in good graces with Trump. But this was very much a, a strategic choice that... He knew if he got some folks like Jim Jordan and Thomas Massey and Marjorie Taylor Greene on his side, that it would give him cover. And in exchange, as you said, he gave the, he gave them legitimate power. You know, a lot of people talked about how the Freedom Caucus booted Marjorie Taylor Greene right before right before the recess. She really doesn't need the Freedom Caucus. The Freedom Caucus just 
uh, groans and complains, but they've never actually accomplished anything. Budget deficits soared under Obama and Trump, and they saw, and you, you know, uh, Obamacare remains in the, remains a law of land. But he made this conscientious choice because he didn't want her against him. He didn't want her to have a motion to vacate to, to join in a motion to vacate the chair. And he basically divided and conquered Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Matt Gates and um, and, and Lauren Boebert to, to to basically keep his keep his gavel. Eric Garcia joining us. Let's talk about that Freedom Caucus real quick. Chip Roy's been making some noise lately. Uh, the Freedom Caucus has decided the war with Ken Buck of all people. Yes. Um, they they have not, like you said, they don't really accomplish anything. They complain a lot, but they see this as their big moment. They get to actually rail against spending with a Democratic president and a speaker that they don't particularly like. Is this going to be the one time they actually accomplish anything or at least throw a wrench in the works? Because this plan of trying to get 12 bills through, you know, here you got Chip Roy's already talking about lumping Homeland Security and the defense bill and all that together, which is going to be a non-starter for everybody. Is this going to be the time where they really do get themselves, you know, the head on the pike? This is this is you know I, I was talking about this with my with my editor just the other day. This is as much a test for the Freedom Caucus as it is for Kevin McCarthy. Um, the Freedom Caucus got hard concessions from McCarthy in writing. Matt Gates, so so I should note that Matt Gates had a press call uh, with reporters after his little stunt speech on the floor uh, on Tuesday, where he said he was going to file motions to vacate the chair. And he said Chip Roy has the written agreement, holds his version of the written agreement. So. They have to essentially try to hold McCarthy to this or, you know, they'll look basically completely impotent if they don't get, you know, the, at least something attached or they or they 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 reduce funding for Ukraine or they tie Ukraine to, to, to Homeland Security spending. They have to get something. And if they don't. They have no other choice but to join a motion to buy, a motion to vacate the chair with Matt Gates. Gates is not part of the Freedom Caucus. A lot of people think he is, but he's not a member of the Freedom Caucus, much like Thomas Massey. Um, but they have no choice because they said they have things in writing. They said they have a written agreement. So if they do not act on it and they do not actually try to give McCarthy the boot, they're um, – they, they look. They, they look like you know. They basically look impotent as well. And, and I should say this. This, this is the other thing because you mentioned Ken Buck. So Buck, you know, of course, he said that there was basically not a there there with impeachment. In many ways, the Freedom Caucus is picking a fight with Ken Buck. They picked a fight with Marjorie Taylor Greene before the recess. This is them trying to show that they're tough with actually without actually doing the hard work of trying to boot Kevin McCarthy or voting or or actually try to govern and try to get some spending cuts you know included in the in the 12 appropriations bills. Yeah, Eric Garcia joining us. Here's the thing, Matt Gates doing a speech, nobody cares because no. nobody takes him seriously if everybody remembers when they finally got the speaker log jam done, we have the infamous clip of somebody whispering it in his ear, his face drops and all of a sudden he decided he didn't want to fight that battle anymore. Yeah. Would to like to know what was in that conversation, but anyway, 
But if you read between the lines on the press quotes, like you said, there was a couple different gaggles the last couple of days. People that do matter are using a magic word here. I've got some quotes here. These are from Punchbowl News. Excellent resource, by the way. Everybody should read Punchbowl. Um, Ralph Norman from South Carolina. We should have top lumber numbers ready, but we don't right now. It didn't happen. Quote, that's on leadership. Dan Bishop out of North Carolina, one of those rising guys that does things now. The question is just whether leadership wants to go ahead and get down the bit. Okay, leadership is code for Kevin McCarthy. Yes. They're already planting the seeds. Whatever happens now is all on Kevin McCarthy. I don't see a good way for McCarthy out of this because we're as we're recording this, I believe we got 15 days until the shutdown number, yeah. depending on which number you want to use. If they put a bill down to Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. Today they wouldn't get it done. No. So there's is there any way that they avoid a shutdown? Is there any way McCarthy's going to survive this thing? Uh, so, so the the answer is, I would say ninety percent. There's no chance that we avoid a shutdown. There is going to be a shutdown. It's just basically about how long. And you know, the, I'm sure that the White House is already getting ready, and, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is already getting ready to lay the blame on at the feet of Kevin McCarthy. Speaker, uh, I mean, Minority Leader Kim Jeffries, as he said, he said we're not going to do a, a we're not going to vote on a ransom note. The question, you know, a lot of people said during the debt limit debate that McCarthy was going to be toast. I never really believed that because the debt limit was never going to, was never the halt, was, was, it was always going to be an agreement. It cut some spending, but it was always going to come down to appropriations. Now there is really a question of whether 
the slow walk impeachment inquiry is enough to keep enough members of the Freedom Caucus happy while he's doing this continuing resolution. And if not, then it could very well spell the end of him. But again, and I keep on saying this, what matters is, and the only thing that matters is you, and you and I have said this countless times, Matt Gates, you know, having, having his, his little peacocking moments doesn't, uh, doesn't really matter. What matters is that the folks who flipped their votes uh, to give McCarthy the gavel, people like uh, Michael Cloud, people like Byron Donalds, people like Scott Perry, decide, uh, people like Dan Bishop decide to make a hell of a lot of noise and they decide, okay, you know what, we're going to join this motion to vacate. That's what matters because the Democrats aren't going to help Matt Gates depose Kevin McCarthy just on principle because uh, they don't want to know. They, they know that whoever he replaces is going to be worse in their mind, going to be worse. So this is really a this is going to be really a test of basically playing chicken between McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus. Garcia joins one other little sub note that's not getting a lot of headlines right now, but you talked about the leadership, people who help and hurt McCarthy. Steve Scalise isn't really on the board right now. He's still technically there, but he's dealing with cancer. We hope he recovers, yes. by the way. Um, but he's not really there daily right now. He was there daily when they fixed all the stuff last year and back during the spring and the summer when things looked really dicey. He's kind of the steady old hand on a lot of this. A lot of people watch for him to flip on McCarthy and he never actually did that kind of held everything together how much does him not really being in play right now affect it because that's one of those big ticket pieces that's not all the way there right now for understandable reasons is that something to keep an eye on right now that's something absolutely to keep an eye on I mean I mean I mean I, I, I you know as people as CNN reported uh you know uh uh, Republican conference chairwoman Elise Stefanik had uh, a ha- had a call with President Trump before the the discussion about the impeachment inquiry. Uh, there there is still uh, so so very much so uh, for all of the you know and speakers and their House majority leaders always have a have a rough relationship. Pelosi and Hoyer hated each other. Uh, Boehner and Eric John Boehner and Eric Cantor despised each other. But the, but at the end of the day, you have to know how to land the plane. But with Scalise out of the game. This basically makes it a three-person leadership team with McCarthy, uh, Stefanik, and Emmer, who nobody really talks about, but Emmer's the whip. Uh, so this is also going to be a test for Emmer. Can he get enough votes? And then also it's going to be, you know, as, as, as you like to say, at least Stefanik didn't burn all of her bridges in the Ivy League just to get number three. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on her. Okay. Um, here's one of the big problems with the whole impeachment thing is the calendar involved here. This yes. is going to run into the election season. Where do you think it goes? Because here, here's one of the other interesting thing with Kevin McCarthy throwing it to the committees. They've already been doing this for nine months. Yes. So it's not like they're going to have new ground to till. It's just Jim Jordan, these guys, and Jordan's on both committees, which is even weirder. But they're they're going to kind of just rehash what they've already done. And what do you practically see? Impeachment's going to get the headlines, but there is a process here. Over the next six, seven, eight weeks, while they're doing this funding fight, are they actually going to do anything new or are they just going to repackage what they got, do you think? 
I mean, the question is whether they actually subpoena people. I mean, this is the thing that Matt Gates said is that they haven't even impeached, they haven't even subpoenaed Hunter Biden. Um, they, in some ways, you know, the, the process gums up and slow walks uh, the, 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 the process of impeachment. So McCarthy doesn't actually have to do it. But on the other end, right wing and conservative media and the folks in the Freedom Caucus are going to be watching. Are they actually going to subpoena the president? Are they going to subpoena uh, Hunter Biden? Are they going to subpoena any of the people that they uh, that, that they want? And this, and in the same token, you, you know, you mentioned this. This is basically, you know, they've been doing this for the past nine months. What new revelations are there going to be? Because if you remember the. Um, the 2019 impeachment inquiry that uh, for, for Trump's first one didn't really reveal anything new. It was just it just brought forward witnesses who confirmed what people already knew. The same thing, has, but I, I feel like if at this point a lot of the American public and, and let's be real, impeachment is always a political act, always has been, always will be. Uh, they they have to have compelling testimony that will convince the public because otherwise the public is not going to be convinced and it could actually backfire on house republicans uh, and it could cost them the majority come 2024 so they have to have they have to have compelling testimony Which one's more politically dangerous? What do the Congress people think is more politically dangerous? Because they're smart. They know what's going on. Is it the budget fight or the impeachment fight that the, there's 18 Republicans that were in Biden districts? There's really about 30 to 35 of them that are in real swing seats that are going to be really competitive. And that's what will flip the House if it flips. So those 30 to 35 Republicans, what are they more afraid of? Is it either or both or which one? Uh, they're afraid of both, but I would say that they're more afraid of doing an imp- of, of actually having to do an impeachment vote, uh, as you said, because they're in districts that voted for Joe Biden. Some of them are even more, are, are I guess what you would call toss of districts. Uh, they, you know, it's important to remember that these Republicans on the front lines, they, uh, they're by and large McCarthy loyalists. Almost all of them voted for Kevin McCarthy this last, uh, you, you know, all fifteen rounds. They, uh, they want there i think more than a fight on the budget they're afraid of a government shutdown they're not afraid about voting for the budget but they're afraid of a government shutdown because that doesn't look good for them uh you, you know also the other thing to take into account is that uh literally if there's a government shutdown literally in a few weeks there's going to be the uh off-year elections in virginia there's a lot of federal employees in virginia that could very well flip the virginia state house and that and they could shoulder the blame because of all the federal employees who won't be getting a paycheck yeah, that's a great point. Eric Garcia joining us. Okay, some news from uh, yesterday as we record this. Mitt Romney stepping down. He's going to finish out his term, but he's going to be done in the Senate. You know, the MAGA folks are really happy and dancing about it. All the moderates are like, hmm, that's interesting. I found the statement he made pretty incredible. He's like, look, I'll be yes. in my mid-80s next term. Um, he didn't say I'm fabulously rich and I don't need this, but it was yeah. between the lines. Um, when he said, I've been doing this for 25 years. I got some other things I want to do. How did it hit folks? Uh, probably not a surprise. A lot of folks thought this might be a one and done for him. But how did it hit the colleagues? Because we'll hear the the haleography. People are going to praise Mitt Romney and the people don't like him going to tear him down. 
what's kind of his legacy? He's kind of the last Republican non-Trump that could actually survive Trump and do what he wanted to do because Utah is not super Trumpy. What's no. the legacy that people are talking about on the Hill now that he's actually pulled the I, trigger here? I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of Democrats probably are privately um, worried because it's one less person they can do business with. Uh, you, you know, I'll, I'll give I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, literally the day before. Uh, uh, the, the, the Romney's announcement. I was on the train with Senator Lisa Murkowski, and I just asked her point blank: "Is this impeachment inquiry stuff going to get in the way of the appropriations process?" She's like, "Yes." You know, she's like literally everybody yesterday was asking me about appropriations. Now everybody's asking me about impeachment. She, reading between the lines, this is someone saying this is her saying that this is ridiculous. Um, in the same way, I think uh, a lot of Democrats are frustrated because for all of their disagreements with Mitt Romney, uh, and he's a conservative, make no mistake, he still he was still somebody they could do business with. He worked together with them on the um, bipartisan infrastructure bill, worked with them on guns, worked with them on the Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, obviously, his really good one person who's really probably crying is uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema, his really good friend and fellow BYU alum. Uh, they're, they're, they're two people. Uh, Romney back earlier this year told me he wouldn't campaign against Sinema if she were to run for re-election. Uh, so, so, so there very much is probably a feeling among Democrats. They're probably going to miss him more than some Republicans. But I think there's also it's probably not going to uh, go off too well with um, Senate Minority Leader McConnell uh, because because this means that he's going to have probably some other right wing zealot who's going to oppose him as leader. Uh, you know, or if McConnell steps aside, this is probably not going to make someone like Senator John Thune or John Cornyn or Barrasso or whoever takes McConnell's spot if he decides to step away. This is probably not going to make them happy because it's one more person who's going to try to, uh, who's going to raise hell and join your Josh Hawley's and your Mike Lee's and your J.D. Vance's. Yeah, Eric Garcia. All right, hypothetical time. We love to project out ahead of time. We may be looking at a situation where we currently have um, a Republican House and Democratic Senate. We may be looking at a situation in 2024 as you look at the map. It may be the opposite. We may yes. have a Republican Senate and a Democratic House with a very thin majority or maybe more if they do get really off the rails with this stuff. How's that going to change things? Because we talk about deadlock, but who has the Senate really does steer a lot of what the House does by yes. design. That's how it's designed in the Constitution. How would flipping that look, let's assume Mitch McConnell hangs in there for a while and we hope his health, whatever else, we hope his health is okay because yeah. these things are scary. I hate seeing that stuff. Yeah, it was ter- it was terrifying. But let's just assume McConnell's still at the helm. That's why he's holding on because he thinks he's getting the Senate back and the House goes Democrat. How's that going to change it regardless of who the next president is, whether it's Biden or Trump or whoever? Well, you know, the, the famous thing is that, like, as, as any member of the House knows, that the Senate does, even though, you know, the, the House supposedly has the power of the person in, in the Constitution, basically the Senate writes all the spending bills and then makes, forces the House to eat it. Uh, so, so, so very much so. It'll very much change things. It'll change how spending's done. It'll change how appropriations are done. Not to mention that it'll change how nominations are done. So if President Biden wins re-election, it's probably going to gum up all of his judicial nominees because that's the best thing that's what McConnell is best at doing is gumming up and obstructing nominations or, or, or you know, if there's a President Trump uh, or as much as that may scare Mitch McConnell or a President Ron DeSantis, which is looking increasingly unlikely, they, you know, it's going to become a judicial confirmation factory. And in the same respect, it's probably going to make uh, pass, you know, you'll probably get more continuing resolutions through. There's probably not going to be a fear of a government shutdown, but it's not going. But it's going to probably slow the process if there's a Democratic president, and it's going to mean that even if there's a Speaker Hakeem Jeffries, 
he's going to have to um, swallow whatever Leader McConnell wants him to swallow. Yeah, not a great metaphor that I want to think about, but you're yeah. accurate as it is. Eric Garcia joins. Okay, for the audience, because you're the inside guy, like you run into Lisa Mikowski on the train and get to just chat with her. You get to talk to Joe Manchin about whether he's going to go to WVU and do the right thing for everybody and get out of the way. I'll ask you about that some other time. <laughs> but give the audience, the folks listening, our friends listening, give them one or two things to pick out of the headlines because it's going to be a lot of noise and action without a whole lot of underlying meaning for a while, I think, especially with these budget resolutions. They're going to get pulled. They're going to come back. There's going to be conferences. The impeachment thing is going to take a while. Give folks the one or two things they should look for in the headlines, some hard stuff on the debt and uh, spending stuff and something hard on the impeachment to go, okay, now I need to pay attention to what's going on here. You have to take a look at how many, when there's going to be a continuing resolution, you're going to have to take a look at how many Republicans vote against the continuing resolution. Because that is going to be, if there are enough Republicans who vote against the continuing resolution, that could provide an impetus for a vote to motion to vacate the chair. The other thing to take into account is how long does the, uh, it, it's just plain and simple, if there's a government shutdown, how long are they willing? How long are Republicans willing to take it? Because remember, the debt limit agreement that they passed in June uh, basically raises the debt limit to, Jan- to January first, twenty twenty-five. So they can they can hold out as long as they want. So the question is, how much bone into the bone are they willing? Are is, are the Freedom Caucus folks willing to cut? And how much are they willing to? Uh, and th- then the question comes. How many of those frontline Republicans decide to join Kevin and say, look, Mr. Speaker, you need to pass a continuing resolution and have Democrats bail you out? Those are the those are the two questions are who are the Republicans who are going to tell Kevin to come to the census? And then also how many Republicans are going to vote for it? Uh, and, and because that could trigger that could get some people to say, hey, let's do a motion to vacate. Give me one or two on impeachment. Is it the Jim Jordan committee stuff? Is it that if they just rehash the same old thing, it'll kind of be like the first Trump impeachment. It'll fall flat from what's promised because it's not new information. It's just repackaged and the public kind of tunes it out. Give me one or two for impeachment, too. The real question is whether Republicans actually uh, subpoena Hunter Biden. Uh, that is going to be the uh, that that's going to ultimately. Yeah, but be not to interrupt you. He's already got the get out of jail free card because yeah. he can sit there and go, I can't answer any questions because right. I'm under investigation over here. And then he doesn't say nothing. Yeah, Plus, there'd be a court file whether he'd have to appear or not. The, the, technically, the, in the state system already. Yeah, the uh, the other thing is just to see how do Demo- what do Democrats do because a lot of them are really happy to throw Hunter Biden uh, to not. They don't want to be defense counsel for Hunter Biden. But the question is what the messaging is, because this is going to be mainly done through oversight. The two people to watch are going to be the the tag team is going to be Jamie Raskin and AOC because they're the number one and the number two on the oversight committee. Raskin said he's not running for Senate in Maryland. So this is what he's got. And so the question is, Raskin and AOC have long been the Democrats' best questioners on oversight uh, when it comes to holding Trump accountable. The question is, how do they mount a defense uh, against Comer and uh, these coming against Comer and the Republicans in this in this committee, which they don't really want to do. By the way, they don't want to. They're do. going to have to figure out some way to. All right, Eric Garcia, a million dollar question: If there's a motion to vacate the chair by default, you got to get yourself a new speaker. Who's going to take it? Uh, the question is who wants it, and the question is who has the votes to do it. I mean, the question is who is start. If you are, if you're thinking that they're going to do a motion to vacate now. If you're Emmer or if you're Scalise or if you're Stefanik or if you're, you know, I don't know, Jim Jordan, not Jim Banks because he's running for Senate, you have to start doing your whip count now. You have to start seeing 
who's going to get behind me now? So more than the question about who's going to replace him is, are, do they, does anybody have the votes? Because really the only, the, 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 Kevin had basically the Theresa May benefit, which is that nobody else could muster the most for the, for, for our friends who don't follow British politics. Theresa May basically stayed in as long as she could because nobody else could take the place. The same way, Nobody else ha can get as many votes as McCarthy. So you have to start whipping votes now. And you have to do it low key. Yeah, in that example, you wind up with, you know, getting a replacement that lasts less than a head of lettuce, which doesn't go really well. So Yes, precisely. All right, Eric Garcia, we love talking to you about these things. Busy week in Congress. We'll have you back in a week or two to catch up with. Let everybody know what you got going on. I know you're writing a second book, but go ahead and plug the first one. And let us know where we can keep up with you until we see you again, my friend. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric M. Garcia. You, uh, you can buy the book, We're Not Broke, and Changing the Autism Conversation. And uh, you can uh, and you can always just follow us. Uh, you can also sign up to the Inside Washington newsletter for The Independent, where we send out an evening newsletter every night, every weeknight. Yep, I've signed up for that. We need to update our uh, autism episode. It's one of the highest rated ones we ever did about 18 months ago since we've done that now. We need to update it and do it again, my friend, because I got a lot of stuff on that. I want to talk a lot of headlines lately, the last six, seven months we want to talk about. So we'll definitely yeah. do that one as a long form. Eric Garcia, appreciate you, my friend. Talk soon. Absolutely. Yes, sir. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Let's end on a good note if you like to relax. Let's go over to Montenegro. Uh, Brizna Montenegro, this is from CNN. Seven competitors lying down on mats are vying for the coveted title of laziest citizen. After smashing the previous record in a satirical contest held annually in a holiday resort in northern Montenegro, a lying down record of 117 hours was set last year's contest in the resort village of Bresna. Of course, it's a resort village. They do this. They never do this in like industrial areas, but I digress. 
But as this year's competition enters a 20th day on Thursday, the remaining contestants say they were determined to keep going. Quote, all of us feel good. Excellent. There are no health problems. <laughs> They're pampering us. All we have to do is lay here. Well, yeah, that's kind of in the title, lady. Uh, said 2021 champion Dubrovic Oskik, who's 38. The contest was launched in the tiny Adriatic country 12 years ago to mock a popular myth that labels Montenegrins as lazy, said Radijen Blagovic, the organizer and owner of the resort. She said the seven remaining contestants from the starting field of 21 have been laying down for 463 hours so far. There are photos of this. Folks, the most notable thing are the sleeping bags and the multiple charging cords for all the laptops and cell phones. It's a little different nowadays being lazy, you see. Back to the piece, the rules stipulate that standing or sitting are considered a violation of the grounds for immediate disqualification, but contestants are allowed to have a 10-minute every eight hours or so to go to the toilet. Well, that's good to know. Competitors can also read and use cell phones and laptops. Philippe Krasniak, 23, a first-time contestant from the northern town of Moljavik. Folks, I don't do Slavic real well, so if I'm mispronouncing any of these, I apologize. Said he was confident of victory and picking up the 1,000 euro prize. That's about $1,000.70 US. We have everything we need here. Company is fantastic. Time goes by quickly. Hey, don't be judgy. They've been doing this for 20 days, going on 21 days now, which means even if you just surmise they didn't do a whole lot the other days out of the month, they still did more work last few weeks than Congress did for a lot less pay. That'll do us for her tell. Uh, make sure you're subscribing on however you're getting this program, whether you're watching on the YouTube channel, if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, any of the various podcast amalgamators like Podcast Attic and things like that. We see those stats. Make sure you're subscribing. Make sure you're following. Leave us a comment if you would. That would be great if they give you that option. Also, leave us a rating. That lets those platforms know our programs we're checking out and helps us promote it. You would do so also. Put us on your social media. We don't pay for promotion here. We just do it off our own social media. So if you can share her, tell let folks know it's worth checking out. We'd really appreciate that. All the notes, everything you need, links. Uh, you can even listen and watch the program right in the Herdtel Substack, herdtel.substack.com, completely free to subscribe to that. Give us a note. We run uh, segments and stories that we get from you, the folks. So make sure you send those in to us, show at gmail.com, show on the Twitter, and of course on the Substack, you can interact with us there. So wherever you are, across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you are well-fed. We hope you're standing up and not just lying down all day. And we'll talk to you again real soon for more Hurtel. All the music on Hurtel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. 
Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. <laughs>